wonderful it is to worship with you this morning. And I hope that just singing together that we're bound for the promised land, that that brings joy to your heart. That brings joy to my heart. Well, living in Maryland over the last few years, we had many opportunities to go see and do things in that part of the country. And it's really neat to live in a different place and experience life there. But one of the things we did was we went and saw the uh, museums up in D.C., the Smithsonian. And at least three times we went up to the American History Museum. And there's one thing in that museum that took me aback when I first saw it. It was a statue of George Washington. Now, the history of this statue was that it was commissioned in the mid-1800s to go into the Capitol Rotunda. And it was provocative. It raised some controversy during its time. And so it was moved out onto the Capitol lawn. And there it was ridiculed by people. So eventually it ended up in the collection of the Smithsonian there in the American History Museum. So Horatio Greenhouse statue, which is entitled Enthroned Washington, is kind of a mashup of genres. It, it is George Washington, but really it is completely molded after a different genre entirely. When you walk up to it, what you see is Zeus enthroned on Mount Olympus with the head of George Washington. And so it's giving an ideal that Greenow wanted to present in light of almost a century later of what all the events had happened leading up to the revolution. And so you have the truth of the history of the revolution, and then you have a monument which is projecting an ideal that may be even different than what was originally projected by the people who participated in that revolution. And what this means is that monuments mean something, don't they? The only reason we would take time to carve something out of stone and set it up is that it tells us something about who we are as people and about our history. And it sets the course of a narrative of the history of a people and a nation. And so the passage we're going to read this week, Joshua chapters 3 and 4, the people of Israel set up a monument. Now what's different here in this passage is first that it happened in real time during the course of the event itself. It wasn't something that came later. It was also something that had been commanded by God for them to do. And when they set it up, it was for them to remember the things that God had done for them. And so it's unique in that respect compared to the way we normally think about monuments. I just want to read a little bit of the end of the fourth chapter to you to get going. The people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month. And they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan and set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, What do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So, when people ask, what do these stones mean? 
we have a commitment. We have a responsibility to give an accurate interpretation of what these stones mean, to accurately represent, but also to accurately proclaim, in this case, what God has done. And so God made it so that he would lead his people into the promised land. He had promised to them that he would bring them there. And now in Joshua 3 and 4, he completes that task. He brings them into the land. He leaves no doubt that he is still with his people. These people that he had brought out of Egypt, out of slavery. Through these miraculous events, he now shows that he is still with them. The same God that brought them out of slavery in Egypt is the one who was going to bring them into their rest. And so... Through these stones, we see their faith. We see God's provision for them. And through these stones, we also see God's kingdom proclaimed. And so if you struggle to trust God, my prayer would be that you would see God's provision for his people in this passage this morning. Or if you have not come to the point of faith in Christ, then I'd like for you to see how these nation of Israel had placed their faith in God to bring them into the land. And if you're a new believer, you could see their faith, how God was faithful to them and how they responded by listening to God and following him. And for all of us, there's this admonition at the end that I just read. It says to to tell the next generation and also to peoples, nations, what these stones mean. So, We will be looking at uh, Joshua chapter 3 this morning. Uh, In your pew Bibles, that's page 179. Uh, But I just want to pray for us to get going. Father, I thank you that you are faithful to your promises. And so, Lord, help help us to hear you. Lord, help us to, when we look at your word, to see your message proclaimed and not our own message. Lord, help us to look to you knowing that you will bring your people into their rest. That you bring complete salvation. You don't leave a task half done. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right. So, just a little bit of background. This whole arc, beginning with the Passover and then the Exodus event taking them out of slavery in Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. There's that boundary of the river, and the slavery that they were held under is left on the other side. Pharaoh cannot follow them across the the Red Sea. They go into the wilderness, and there's trial and temptation in their life. And God tells them that they cannot enter his rest because they did not trust God and his promises. And so God raises up a second generation of Israel. And that second generation has learned to follow God in the wilderness. They had been there their whole lives, following God, following the cloud, following the pillar, receiving what they needed from God. And so now God brings them up to the edge of Jordan and is about to bring them into the land. And Moses, their leader for 40 years, dies. In Deuteronomy 34, it says that they wept on the plains of Moab for 30 days over Moses, who had led them. And they weren't in the land yet. They'd come so far, and the one who had delivered them under God 
was not with them anymore. And then in Joshua chapter 1, God tells Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. So there were real challenges for them. There was uncertainty about the future. When they crossed over the Jordan, they were entering into a battle zone. It wasn't just, you know, pretty flowers and blue skies. They knew that there was going to be trials and challenges for them on the other side. And they had untested leaders. Joshua himself had only been leading them for a short time. And then there was these natural obstacles. The Jordan River was flooded. The water could sweep people away. And they had all of their families, their baggage, the animals that were with them. That was they wanted to take with them into the land. And so in times of uncertainty, it can be easy for us to be discouraged and to lose focus. And on the other hand, you could also imagine that, well, God had formed them into this military force. They were ready to charge in and take the land, and they could just take it by force. But God makes it clear, even going through the rest of the book of Joshua, that he is the one who leads his people. When they go out on their own, they fail. And when they follow God, they have victory. And so God wants them to follow him in faith. So I'm going to read chapter 3 to us now. And then we'll talk a little bit about the faith of the people of Israel as they followed God. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim, and came to the Jordan. He and all the people of Israel lodged there before they passed over. And at the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it, in order that you may know the way you should go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priest, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So that they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priest to bear the Ark of the Covenant. When you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. Joshua said, Here is how you should know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore, take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand up in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan, with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, 
and the feet of the priest bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water. Now the Jordan overflows its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until the nation finished passing over the Jordan. So through these stones, we see several different things. And just to start, I want to talk about how we see the faith of God's people as they listened, as they prepared, and as they followed. So what do these stones mean? At face value, that God led Israel across the Jordan on dry ground into the promised land. That river would have been 15 to 25 feet deep and 20 to 30 yards across. And it would have been flooded during this time of harvest. So the water would have been rushing through. It would have carried people away. A lot of times people talk about the Jordan River today as being almost like a little creek. And there's a lot of irrigation in that area now. So there would have been more water in the river at that time. And how are they going to get this whole nation across? In the book of Numbers, it mentions 600,000 fighting men prepared for battle and their families and their animals and all of their things. So what were they going to do? Notice that God took the initiative here. God spoke to Joshua. Right? So they listened for guidance. In fact, there's a pattern that occurs three times in these two chapters. It happens once in chapter 3 and twice more in chapter 4. God speaks, then Joshua proclaims, and the people listen and follow. So... God is the one who leads them. Joshua is God's servant. And then the people listen. Joshua only had to repeat what God said. He urges them to follow the ark. And so we see the ark is God's presence among the people. He goes out before the people. And they know that. They know that the ark represents God's presence with them. So God has told them how they're going to cross the river. And he himself is going to lead them across this river. So God is still with his people. God brought them out of Egypt and through the desert. He takes them into the land under his watchful provision and care. And the people listen. And after listening, they prepare. Now, they've been preparing their whole lives. Because these were children of the wilderness. They spent 40 years there. Their whole, everything they needed, they had learned to follow God over the course of their life. And they prepared physically. It says that they they waited three days to prepare to cross. So that would have just been packing up their belongings, getting things ready. There's practical needs. But Joshua also tells them to consecrate themselves. They prepared spiritually. So what does it mean to consecrate yourself? In the Old Testament, you had things that were for normal use. There were things that could be defiled. And then there were things that could be set aside for holy use. And to consecrate means to set themselves aside for holy use, to be useful for God's purposes. So God was telling them to be ready to do his work. And so they were to consecrate themselves. We think of of that sort of preparation in the same way we think of preparing for worship. You cut out the things that distract you in the world. 
You, you prepare yourself through prayer. You take time. You focus on what's important. And so, do you prepare to follow God? We, we have the same sort of issues in our life. A life dedicated to, to learning about God and preparing, there, there could be much benefit from a lifetime of Bible reading. Right? There's practical preparation that we take as we, we want to serve the God, in, or God in certain ways, right? As we want to maybe go into some sort of ministry, maybe there's a practical preparation that we need to, to do. And we prepare our hearts. If you have uh, preparation for worship, but then you also have times where you may be set aside for some special purpose or some transition in your life, there's times when we need to prepare spiritually for those times. So, having prepared, they then follow in faith. The ark is brought forward, and they're told to keep a distance of about a thousand yards. Now, those thousand yards, some people point that out and say, well, that's, that's emphasizing the holiness of God, and, and maybe it is. But there's also a practical concern there that's mentioned in the text. If you have this many people following behind the ark, they need to be able to see it at a distance to see where it's leading them. And so they are to follow the ark as a group. And think about what it was like for a member of the people of Israel at this time to come up to the edge of the Jordan and to see this event happen to see the waters held back, to know that God was still with them just as he had been with their fathers when they crossed the Red Sea. And they see the priest go down into the riverbed on dry ground and to experience this provision of God in their lives. And think about the experience of the priest down in the riverbed. Everybody was crossing over a course of about 20, 30 yards length, but the priests were there all day long holding the ark, and the hand of God is holding back this water that's heaped up in a distance. And they are trusting God that God will hold back the water. All right, so they know that God is faithful to his promises. They see God's power displayed here. There's connections with the Exodus. This is like the Red Sea crossing in reverse. It also has connections with their covenant relationship with one another and with God. They're entering the land. This is part of the promise to Abraham that was reaffirmed at Sinai. And so in Joshua, there are echoes of what's coming. Joshua himself is a type of the coming king. But the people entering the land is the establishment of God's kingdom. And so in the Old Testament, you have the king and the kingdom. There's two pieces there. They're entering the land, which is part of that kingdom. And in a way, they were moving between two worlds. Right? They, they had started in slavery to sin, slavery, physical slavery in Egypt. They had wandered in the wilderness, which is representative of this life. And now they're preparing to enter into the promised land. So there's this transition between wilderness and the promised land. And we live as a people between two worlds, don't we? Because we live in this wilderness. And yet we look forward to the promised land where God will take us. When Christ restores all things to right. And yet sometimes we live as though this world is the promised land, don't we? We become attached to our things. We become attached to our situation. 
we find some amount of comfort here. Now, there is much comfort that we can take in this world. There's blessings from God. And the church is an embassy of God's kingdom in this world. So there's, there's many joys that we have in this life. But ultimately, there should be some amount of discomfort in the wilderness. right? Because we're longing for that promised land. And so God was faithful to lead his people into the land. And he provides for their needs. And are you willing to follow God's lead in your life? To prepare your heart through prayer, through worship, to listen for God's guidance in your life and to follow him in faith. Be willing to follow him. Don't try to cross the river on your own. Don't ford the river. So as God provided for them, let's look at chapter 4. When the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in times to come what do these stones mean then you should tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over the Jordan the waters of the Jordan were cut off So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up twelve stones out of the midst of the Jordan according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood and they are there to this day. For the priest bearing the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people, according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. The people passed over in haste. And when all the people had finished passing over, the ark of the Lord and the priest passed over before the people, the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the people of Israel, as Moses had told them. About 40,000 ready for war passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him, just as they stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. And the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priest bearing the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan, So Joshua commanded the priest, come up out of the Jordan. And when the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan, the soles of the priest's feet were lifted up on dry ground, and the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed its banks as before. The people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month. All right. So here we see in both chapters... God's provision for the people. 
Right? So through these stones, God is bringing a complete salvation to this people. He started with the exodus, and now he's bringing it to fulfillment by bringing them into the land. So passing over the Jordan on dry ground, it tells them that God's promise remains, right? Because it's pointing back to the crossing of the Red Sea. It's showing that this is the same God who brought you out of Egypt. And God held back the water. The God who carried them from Egypt is the one who will bring them into the promised land. And these 12 stones taken from the riverbed, it attests to the historical nature of this event that it really happened. This isn't just some ideal. This isn't a literary element or some embellishment. Men from the people of Israel did this work of carrying these stones. And the people themselves participated in this experience. And they experienced God's provision for them. And so the stones were placed intentionally. Some people think they may have been stacked one on top of another. It wasn't discreet. It wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't just your average heap of stones there. They were placed in a way that when people came around later, they would say, what do those stones mean? Right? And it means that God completes what he started. In Philippians chapter 1, it says, And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. This is the same God who we worship. So God doesn't leave his people with a salvation that's half accomplished. God is the one doing the work here. So just as God provided a complete salvation, he also provides them with these graces, these sweet providences of unity among brothers and of godly leaders. See, they cross together as one nation. Verses 10 through 14 really emphasize that. The tribe of Gad and Reuben and the half-tribe of Manasseh. So those tribes had taken their land on the east side of the Jordan, and Moses had told them that they needed to cross over with their brothers into the land to help them take the land. And they did that. And so this isn't just national pride. This is about their covenant relationship, and it places God at the center. Do you know what it's like to experience that kind of unity with other people? Right? Where's the unity of the church found? Just as their unity was found in their covenant relationship with one another, our unity is found in the new covenant. Our unity is found in the gospel. And so, do you believe the good news that Jesus Christ died for your sin? And that your only hope in life and death is that you are one with him who saved you and who intercedes on your behalf before the Father? And if you have that kind of view of your need of a Savior, then when other people are depending upon God for their very life and death as well, how could you not find unity with them? How could you not love God's people for whom he died? So it also means that our unity isn't found in other things. Where does the world commonly find unity? There's all sorts of things, right? Interest, hobbies, uh, whether it's sports teams, the college you went to, the job that you have, your, your cultural identity. There's lots of ways that people find unity in this world. And those could be valid expressions of, 
of culture as we experience life together in the wilderness. But the unity that's found in the gospel goes much deeper than that because our only hope is Christ. And just as we are to love God's people, God himself shows love towards his people in a multitude of ways by providing with unity, but he also provides godly leaders in order to serve the people well. And so Joshua is a type of the coming king. You have those cycles I talked about earlier of God speaks, Joshua proclaims, and then the people listen and follow. And God established Joshua's leadership. Twice in the passage it says that. And so if Joshua is a type of the coming king, what kind of king was Israel to have? The king was called to follow after God. And if you go back to Deuteronomy 17, Moses talks about what kind of king they should have. In fact, this passage in Deuteronomy 17 would have only come a short time before this crossing. So Moses says to the people, when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book of copy of this law, approved by the Levitical priest, and it shall be with him, and he shall read in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and the statutes, and by doing it. God wanted a man after his own heart. And then in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, this book of the law, this is... God speaking to Joshua. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. So Joshua was to have that same reliance upon God, that same investment in being saturated and shaped and molded by God's word. This is the kind of king that God wants for his kingdom. And it's looking forward to the coming king. And so being in the word is a foundation for the king because the king is to model this for the people in order to serve them well. But that also means that it should be a foundation for us as well. And so leadership is a gift from God to serve them. And leaders proclaim God's message, not their own. We see Joshua does that, right? God speaks and Joshua proclaims. So God was faithful in bringing them into the land as a unified people and with godly leaders. And Joshua admonishes them at the end of the chapter to remember this event. To remember God's faithfulness. Remember what God had done. So here's three ways that we can remember. First, we need to know what God has done for ourselves. That means more than knowledge. That means a living faith in the God who saves And we're to teach the next generation. We're to pass that faith on to our children. And we're to proclaim God's mighty acts to the peoples as a testimony to our neighbors and to the nations. So reading in verse 19, the people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall tell them. Let them know that Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, 
which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. These stones proclaim God's coming kingdom. So we are to know what God has done. That means believing the gospel. This happened at the time of Passover. That wasn't an accident. It's engineered to remind them of the Passover and the Exodus. The Passover points to Christ and his sacrifice. So this isn't just a story about history or morals or comfort. It's an account that calls us to faith in the God who redeems people. Israel were in slavery in Egypt and God saved them. They were called to believe his word and we were called to do the same. And when they reached the Jordan, they were ready for battle, but God is the one who brought them into the land. This is telling us that God will save his people and will carry them into the promised land. He will do this. So think about the typology here. Throughout scripture, we see a type as something pointing forward to a greater fulfillment later on. And in Egypt, we had physical slavery, and that's referred to later as pointing to our physical slavery to sin. And Exodus is this provision of salvation from God. And the Passover event itself is pointing to Christ and his sacrifice. And in the wilderness, it's, it's life in this world. It's our trials and temptations. And Jesus, in the Gospels, he spent 40 days in the wilderness. That's pointing back to Jesus' time in the wilderness. Moses is a type of Christ, the deliverer. And Joshua, even the name Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus, is a shortened form of Joshua. Joshua is a type of Christ who brings the people into their salvation. So crossing the Jordan, entering the promised land, this is pointing forward to the time when God will make all things right, when Christ returns and the establishment of the new heaven and new earth, the consummation of all things. And if you don't believe me, just look at Hebrews chapters 2 through 4, where the author of Hebrews uses this typology to make a major point. He is challenging them in Hebrews, his readers, not to turn away, but to pursue God in faith. So don't be like those who turn away and perish in the wilderness. Why did they perish? Because they did not believe. In Hebrews 4, 6 says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. It goes on to say that Joshua could not bring them into their final rest. And then he says, therefore, strive to enter that rest by faith. So we don't need a monument in order to worship. We worship a risen Savior. His words give testimony to what he has done. So are you his? Have you placed your faith in him? These stones mean that God redeems people. From sin and will bring them into his rest. So, personal faith is important, but it also challenges us to pass that on to our children. These stones connect the children with what happened before their time. So, they are to teach the next generation. Be intentional, right, in pointing out these things to your children. So in line with Moses in Deuteronomy 6, which again would have occurred just before these passages, 
Moses tells them, teach them a law, talk about God as you walk by the way. That means as part of everyday life, natural conversations. This needs to be who you are and how you interact with your children. Have you ever struggled with this? I think we'd all say we've struggled with this at some level. Just commit to make it a habit, a part of your life. And it doesn't have to be some sort of built-up family worship experience that you have to plan. You can just read a passage, read a chapter from a gospel or a psalm with your family at dinner time. It could be very simple. But make it a regular habit. Find someone else who has done this well and see if you can learn from them. And how do you answer your kids' questions when they come to you? Do you take time to answer them well? Do you discuss these things as you walk by the way? Do you have those minivan driving down the road conversations with your family? Right? Right? And if you don't have children, that doesn't get you off the hook either. Right? You have every opportunity here, especially in this church, to serve in children's ministry. Right? To, uh, to teach kids what these stones mean through Sunday school, and to help families, to to befriend families, to become involved in their lives. Even in the worship service, you could sit next to families with kids and help them uh, with their kids during the service. But this is really about basic everyday conversations. What God has done is worthy to be remembered, but here's the issue. Here's the big part where we fall over here is we can forget the big picture and lose the significance of these things, and then when the next generation comes up, they have different experiences than we had. Right? Their understanding of these events can be much different. But God gives us a record of his mighty acts so that we might remember his faithfulness and teach that to our children. But there's a warning even in the scripture here. Because going back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses told them, teach them as you walk by the way. Here in chapter 4, Joshua says, tell them what these stones mean. And then by the time you get to Judges, chapter 2, that's one generation later. That is the generation that they were supposed to tell what these stones mean. And what happened with that generation? It says that God, there was a generation that rose up in Israel who did not know God or the things that he had done for Israel. Brothers and sisters, those are some of the most tragic words in all of Scripture. Teach your children what these stones mean. You may have heard this before, but it's true. The church is only one generation away from apostasy. So memorials are important. They help us to break the mold of everyday life and and ask questions. But consistent discipleship is important too. You need both. So give your own testimony to your children and to others of what God has done for you. Because there is a generation that is coming that has not heard the gospel. We need to tell them what these stones mean. So have those conversations with them as you walk by the way. And discuss life together from a biblical worldview. And we're to take this faith that we encourage among ourselves, 
and among our church and families. And it says we're to take that to our neighbors and the nations. That last verse of chapter 4 says, So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. The events of Israel's life bear witness to who their God is. The ark leads the way, and they knew that God was present with them. And three times in chapter 3 it says, that you may know. That you may know. It proclaims the God of Israel who is faithful to his people and whose name will be made great. But by these stones, God's coming kingdom is also proclaimed to the next generation, to the nations, and even to our own hearts. So preach the gospel even to your own heart. So over 40 years, God taught them to follow. Even entering the land, he made it so that they would have to follow him into the land. God didn't want it any other way. He is the one who brings his people into their rest. So from the text, what do these stones mean? It means that God dried up the waters that Israel crossed over on dry ground. But more importantly, it means that God finishes what he started. He took a people and he made them his. So God is faithful to lead his people through the challenges and temptations of this wilderness. And he will complete what he began. He will bring them into the land. So perhaps you've not come to the point of placing your faith in Christ. We can't enter his rest on our own strength. We have to recognize our sin and that we need a Savior. And that's the whole point of the good news of the grace of Jesus Christ. God's grace in the gospel. Jesus died for our sins so that we might come to God. Don't be like those who died in the desert in unbelief. And perhaps you're a new believer. We need God to lead us. So as you go, follow him in faith. And perhaps you know you need to do a better job of training your children. Tell them what these stones mean, that God saves people. So there's a generation who have not heard the gospel. Don't let them arise without knowing this God and what he has done. You don't have to be perfect, but you do have to be faithful. And for all of us, know that God does this so that all the peoples of the earth may know him. There are people who need to hear the gospel. Be prepared to tell them what these stones mean. And there are churches that need to be planted. Be prepared to give a testimony to what God did for Israel and what he has done for you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for how you provide. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to know your provision, to know that you will bring us into your rest and that we do not build this kingdom by our own strength, but only by your strength. Lord, help us to look to you and to know that you are a God who brings complete salvation to your people. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen.